and welcome to episode 225 of Effect Cyberpulp. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And we have quite a lot to get through in a very short amount of time because, Dave, you've got to be off. So uh, if you want to keep our world of gaming to about half an hour and we're already running late. Um, so let's crack on, shall we? Oh, and then we are uh, having an interview with Chris Shep Shepardson. Uh, Shepardson. Let me fumble over that twice. Yes, him, your mate, <laughs> off the games. Yes. Um, my... And he's going to be talking about the Gaia complex and also gossip about the new Conan RPG. From uh, from Monolith, yeah. yeah. So that's that should be good. Um, yeah, that's about the like most bare bones broken down you know intro that we've probably ever had <laughs> like, hello come yeah, on let's speed well, it up speed it up dave speed it it's up it's okay we've got we've got time we've got time uh but yes so um i think uh we don't have any patrons to thank new patrons to thank for coming on board this week but obviously thanks for everyone who does support us and allow us to waste your time with uh, great banter like this, <laughs> such as it. Yeah, and, and we've got some new, some special new pulp coming out to uh, pulp swag. I mean, <laughs> cyber pulp. That must be on my head. We've got some special <laughs> new swag coming out to our top level patrons. So welcome to the Effect Podcast, coming from the uh, the Sea View uh, old person's home in Brighton, <laughs> where Dave and Matthew are dribbling down their front and smelling and smelling of piss. <sighs> yes, okay. Right, World of Gaming, Dave. World There's of a gaming. lot that's happened in the World of Gaming. Go on, then. What's... And I think the first thing we should touch on is the story of Evil Genius, because mm. we, when Evil Genius launched, uh, they approached us and asked for an interview. We had a great interview with uh, David Scott of Evil Genius, Um Shit has gone down. We've mentioned it before on the show. They laid off a whole bunch of people before Christmas, and I thought, frankly, they'd gone bust. But actually, I was wrong. They haven't. But uh, last week, there was a very interesting article on N-World, which we will link to. We're not, I won't we're not copy all their stuff. Go and read the article on N-World about um, now a continuing outflow of staff from Evil Genius. Mm. Yeah, again, it's it looks like a very confused situation at the moment, doesn't it? And it's um, it, it doesn't look wholly um, heartwarming, I guess is the word I'd use. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a strange old strange old situation that seems to have happened there. And it's it's I don't know is is there something here about the what's the right word for this businessization businessization of gaming? Where obviously Evil Genius got a lot of money in investment, uh, made a lot of money on Kickstarters, was there to make a lot of money, um, mm. and maybe the game was secondary to making a lot of money, and perhaps that has had, you know, the the company has been run to make money, not to make games, perhaps, uh, or the focus has been more on making money than making games, and therefore it it it, it suffered from the whole corporate investment structure yeah. all that kind yeah. of stuff I mean, I, which which lends to this kind of thing happening potentially i haven't gone back to listen to the interview but i i remember 
thinking when we were recording it. You know, we asked the usual question we ask all our guests, tell us about your life in gaming. Mm. And uh, Dave replied, well, I've got a life in gaming. I just, yeah. you know, I've got a lot of money to spend. And, um, and you know, I thought this was an opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I think afterwards we may even have said, if he thinks he's going to make a load of money in role-playing games, he may be sorely mistaken. Um, <laughs> mm. But I can't remember whether he said that. If we if we did, we were brilliantly prescient. But um, yeah, and what we need what we need to do now is, know, is one of the two. Well, yeah, what we can do is pop back and just edit the episode slightly so we look really clever. So, <laughs> <laughs> we would never do that. No, no, no. That's not the. That's not our style. <laughs> but it's a pity, though. Again, I mean, you know, for all those people who, you know, those creatives who were working on on games who have either resigned for various reasons or have been laid off, it's obviously it's an unpleasant time for them. And I hope mm. that they, you know, find their way through it and, and, and get back to doing what they love as soon as possible. Um, but again, it's for me, none, none of the, I've, I've said this before, there was nothing really about the Evil Genius variety of games that they were putting out that really grabbed me. And no, I it mean, felt like they were, doing too, they were doing too many IPs too quickly and not giving any of them kind of the love that they deserved. And I, I think, you know, Free League can be, possibly accused of that slightly whether they're guilty or not is another question in that you know they come out with a new game or have been coming out with a new game every year and they've you know they've gone through alien and blade runner and the walking dead and so you know they could be they could be accused of hunting the next big ip but at least they're giving those games a year to to bed in you know Mm. in the limelight and then those games are getting supplements and extra love as time goes on even if they get the new ip Whereas this one just seemed to dump all the IPs on the table in one big go. It's like, there you go, choose what, yeah. which one you want. And they never, it never felt to me like they were being loved as a creative, um, you know, um, project. And maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I, no. you know, I, I, I might no, be totally I, I, wrong. But that was just my, my sense, my, my, my feeling. I think you're right. I mean, at, at its heart, of course, theirs was a fundamentally different model from Free Leagues in that they were, you know, they'd... Uh, got a version of D and D. Let's be frank. Um, you mm. know, sort of third edition, updated to fifth edition D and D, and sold as everyday heroes. And then every yeah. IP was a supplement to that. So, yeah. um, you know, there's no at least freely try and craft. Even when they're using the year zero system, they try and craft it around the genre that they're trying to emulate yeah. in the game. There is, you know, I mean, I'm not doing down the workers, the the, the, no, the hard no, work no. of the writers of those supplements. But I just I wonder can't if the, the strategy was slightly comes wrong. from the same place. Yeah, yeah. The, the strategy of the more IPs we can throw at the public, the better, um, regardless of what we do with them. In terms of, like you say, making them bespoke and feel, you know, feel individual and unique. Um, so I think maybe the strategy was. Was it was was weak rather than any you know, anything else yeah. rather than the creative. Well, let's not talk about it in the past tense creative. yet. No, uh, no, that is. True. They have that announced a new game, for example, Dave, that you might be interested in called Military Heroes. Um, I I hope you sense my um, sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, that's kind of yeah. So I mean, you know, if if I want if I want to play a war a war a war role playing game. There's 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 one or two others I might go to first. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, and, and talking of the work. Having said, people don't make much money in role playing games. One company that appears to have done is Cool Minis or Not, C Mom, as people like to call it. 
Um, and they've just signed an exclusive detail that takes them away from Kickstarter as their main sort of source of income and uh, going with um, GameFound, which okay. is the sort of European version of um, Kickstarter. Yeah. Okay. You've got nothing to say on this one, have you? I can <laughs> tell. Much. I I haven't heard that. Um, I'm not so. So what's what's the implication? Is this saying that GameFound is 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 becoming a go to, you know, a partner, you know, a partner to go to as opposed to Kickstarter? Or okay, I think um, you know, obviously you're already led cogwheels are working you in your brain. I can hear them. You need a bit of oil, Dave. Um, <laughs> And because you know we're we're thinking about doing a crowdfunding campaign um, uh, before the end of this year, or maybe very early next year, and you're thinking, does this say we should be going with GameFound? And I think the implication is they've got a really good deal with GameFound that we as first timers wouldn't get, and also that CMOM has a certain brand awareness that means they might feel they're a bit bigger than Kickstarter. Whereas I think. The advantage of going with Kickstarter would be that it brings us into a market of people who kickstart role-playing games that yeah. is far, far bigger than even our massive listenership. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting um, to see how that how that pans out. Um, yeah. yeah. We will watch with interest because we're into we that. Talking of kickstarted games, do you remember when we interviewed Andy Light about her new game Between Clouds? Ooh, I ooh, do. Dear me, a couple of years ago. It was a long time ago, yeah. And I do remember it very much. Actually, it was very. Um, I, I think, yeah, you know, as a game that I wasn't initially interested in. Obviously, having had that interview and that conversation, it um, uh, it didn't interest me enough to back it, but it, it did certainly get me much more interested in in, in following its progress, and. That is now arriving. It would have interested on... me enough to back it, but I didn't. Uh, again, actually, because I was poor at the time. It was before I got my new yeah. job. Um, but yeah, sorry, I interrupted you, Dave. No, no, just saying it's it's now landing on people's doormats. So uh, backers are now getting their copies. Um, I think a couple of our patrons have uh, have backed it and have got it. Mm -hmm. um, I get and it that. looks lovely. It yeah. As as uh, as 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 we as it did before, yeah. As I said, it so the artwork. Yes, it's... is is yeah. It's very colourful and very um, bright and optimistic in its look, and look and feel particularly. <laughs> it was inter interesting. Aside, I'd never heard this this word before, um, but Modifius are now talking about um, dreams and machines as a genre mm. called hope punk. And I've never heard that punk. before. Mm. Um, so I thought it was quite interesting. And so maybe actually Between Clouds is also another example of, you know, a burgeoning genre called hope punk, perhaps. Yeah. Um, I struggle I struggle putting hope and punk together, but, <laughs> yeah, but I know. you know. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's a bit like, you know, every scandal is, you know, fish gates and cow gates or, you know, door gates and politician gates and everything else. Punk is just a word that you yeah. put in front of cyberpunk, steampunk, sunpunk, yeah. punk, shit punk. <laughs> um, it, it's become one of those words that just gets tacked on, and it it sounds good. I, I like the sound of hope punk, um, except the sort of like the horrible double syllable 
punk element to it. But yeah, no, that, that I think it, it does describe Dreams and Machines quite nicely, actually, because it is, you know, it, it's taking a post-apocalyptic world, which is all pretty grim and horrible, but it's it's giving, the game is a hopeful game. Um, it's an optimistic game, so I quite like it. Yeah, it might not make any sense as a word, but I quite like it. Yeah, I'm um, talking of hope, actually. Um, uh, actually, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to add an item into the um, into the running order, Dave, which you know nothing about. Um, <laughs> our patron Renvik is doing something hopeful, uh, or rather, um, uh his wife is doing something hopeful. She's having a 24-hour gaming marathon yes, next that. week yeah. as we as we type this from 8 a.m. in the morning, I guess, to 8 a.m. on a Sunday in um, in support of SANS, which is a charity that offers support and bereavement counselling to families that have lost babies. And um, I just think we should do just something a little bit hopeful. So we will be putting a link into Claire's 24-hour gaming marathon um, just giving campaign for anybody that would like to contribute to that. Yes, excellent idea. Very good. Well done. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's. Uh, I hope it goes well. I mean, I remember back in the day, um, back at school, thinking of trying to do a world record attempt for the longest D and D session, which I think at the time we worked out would have been like going to school on a Monday and then finishing after school finished on a Friday. Um, but. So uh, hopefully 24 hours is going to be not too challenging to manage. And um, yeah, what a great cause. So all the best. Yeah. Now, I remember um, um, while you were at university, actually, some of us, including, um, uh, I believe, uh, some of our patrons, Andy Brick and the like, um, uh, did do try and do a 24-hour paranoia marathon mm. uh, that didn't end well. Um, no more <laughs> about that, shall we? Let's move straight on to Star Trek Adventures. Because I noticed they've announced a supplement that I thought you'd be really interested in. Um, I, 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 I've been so busy lately. I simply haven't had a chance to to look at it in any detail. But yes, it's the. Oh, um, I was hoping that you might even have um, got a job doing some writing for it. No, sadly not. It's I've, the Federation Klingon War. It Dave. is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, despite the fact it's it's based on Discovery, which. You know, um, anyway, uh, I don't want to say too much because any chance I've got of working on the line might be screwed up if people listen to that. Um, so, yes, I've, I've put myself forward. Um, I've spoken to the project manager. They've got a lot of writers working on it and they've got themselves covered for quite some time. Mm. But I'm hoping I might get um, I might get something on that one day. But I'd love to write for Star Trek. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I also suggested um, the idea of I floated the idea of a Star Trek Year Zero. Um <laughs> which, which I, which, which I mean, I have to say, I wasn't immediately told, "Don't be fucking stupid, fuck off, Dave." Um, which I was quite pleased about, but I don't suspect it's going to come to anything. But you never know, um, right? But yeah, it looks lovely. I mean, all, all of these books, the Star Trek books from from Medivis, look absolutely lovely. I've I've got quite a lot of them. Um, I got the Klingon expansion. Um, they are they are fabulous products. They're beautifully made. Um, yeah, I'd recommend I recommend people getting it. I, I mean, I probably won't again, only because I am, um, you know, poorer than I I was this time last year. Yeah. So um, I don't have to be slightly more careful about what I what I splash my cash on. But um, it does look lovely, and I would I would um, I'll take the chance when we go to uh, 
UK Games Expo. I'll take the chance to go along and have a look through it at the Modifia stand for sure. Mm. And then will hit... it be out by? Will it actually be in print by um, UK Games a... Expo? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Given there is an announcement now. Yeah. 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 What was I? Oh, yeah. The other thing, Modifius, I was just going to mention um, the the next Dune campaign book, the the Fall of the Imperium, is uh, mm-hmm. is out is is out for pre order now. And I was just having a little look at the site the other day, <clears throat> and uh, I I did some work on that, which was great fun. Really, really enjoyed it. It's obviously coming out, uh, obviously in conjunction with the second movie, which I'm oh, very yes, of course. I'm very much looking forward to that was premiered last week and comes out in cinemas here, I think, what, in 10 days or something? So I'm very in much looking forward to March, that. the 1st of March, I have tickets for the 2nd of March. Ah, to see nice, nice. It's, um, it's, had some, it's had some very, very positive reviews. So I'm hoping mm-hmm. it's as good as the reviews are saying it is. But anyway, so I, if you go onto that site and look at the, the little thumbnail pictures, um, one of them is the contents. And on that contents, it's got the two scenarios that I wrote um, for the campaign Ooh. book, which is great, a crisis of secrets and hunting the beast—they're called. So, um, yeah, really, really excited cool. to see that coming out in print, and um, yeah, and excited to go and see the movie as well. I'll have to watch the first one again before I do that. Yes, but, uh, it, it's yeah. on Netflix or something. I think my mm. plan is to watch it. Um, but we must hurry on. We've been seventeen minutes. We've been talking, um, and. We've got still many items to talk about. So one thing that one of our patrons spotted, I think this was, uh, I can't remember who it was, maybe Jonathan, but it looks interesting, particularly to Verson fans and indeed other folk horror games could be included. And that's called This Blighted Isle, Mm. um, Darkened Hill and Dale. And it's out on Kickstarter at the moment. And it's a number of... Folk horror adventures, systemless folk horror adventures that you can apply to your copy of I was say, is Mail it, or Versing or whatever. Yeah, I was going to say, is it game agnostic? So it's, it's pretty uh, agnostic, yeah. Yeah, cool. That cool. would be an ecumenical matter, as they say. Um, <laughs> we will put a link to that in our you know show notes. Um, <laughs> um, and then... Um, uh, I don't know how I feel about this. You and I, we're not the best people to report on anything virtual tabletop-wise. Yeah. This isn't quite virtual tabletop, but Nexus, which is, I don't know, I guess you'd call it the equivalent of um, the old D&D Beyond, digital rule books and other stuff, um, is coming out with Alien at the end of February. Okay. Um and I think I think I think uh, some people have had early access to that already. Um, if any of our listeners have had it and want to tell us what they think of it, then give us a shout. Drop us a line on Effect Podcast at mm. org. Sorry, feedback at effectpodcast dot org. Effect, of course, with a K. With a K. Um, yes. And uh, tell us what you think of it. I I can't get massively excited. Whereas it takes ages to create a character in D anD D, and getting a part of that automated for you in D&D Beyond strikes me as excellent value for money and not just value for money because I think you can get it for free if you just have the basic stuff and you don't subscribe it's only when you want to go deeper into it that you you need to start paying for D&D Beyond I believe but actually creating characters in Alien is a doddle you know assign a few points to a few stats 
choose your talent and you're done effectively. Uh, so I can't quite see where all the hard spreadsheet maths that, and you know, might go into um, even fifth edition D and D um, is being saved. Whether any work's actually being saved there? Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not my bag. I don't know anything about it. So um, I, it's something I can't I can't comment on. Not that not knowing anything about something usually stops me from commenting on it. <laughs> um, <but laughs> you should at least be able to guff or an act surprised. Don't well, you? yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Um, not that I'm still bitter. Well, about I hope you know a bit about our next item well, because another I want to hang on, hang on. that we want to talk before, about. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we get for that, I just want to do something, um, something we, we hadn't talked about, but um, you mentioned it earlier, just in passing, and I just wanted to give it a bit of time um, to sink in. So, Tales of the Old West, the game that you and I have been working on now for probably five years, um, <laughs> that we've talked about kickstarting or we talked about getting published for a long time um you just said oh yeah we're thinking of getting you know kickstarting later this year or early next um i just want to like linger on that point for a moment and kind of make this an announcement because we're finally getting to the point where it feels like a reality so we we've had some conversations with some fabulous people um one in particular who's we might be hearing a bit from later on today which has been brilliant <laughs> advice um and, and made it feel that we can really get our teeth into getting the Kickstarter going. So we are doing this. Um, we need to work out a lot of stuff. Um, we need to work out our plan for when we can get it, you know, when we might be able to get it delivered. So that's why we're very vague on the timing at the moment. I would like to get it out this year if we can. Um, I really was... fancy a Kickstarter just before Christmas. So people aren't expecting it in time for Christmas, <clears throat> but they might kickstart it for their friends as a bit of a kind of a Christmas virtual Christmas yeah. present. That's what I'd like to do. Um, so it'd be nice to get it this year. I, I don't think that's impossible, but we need to obviously check a number of things about what's what we can, what's available, things like printing and stuff. Um, but yes, just to mark the moment, after five or more years of thinking about planning writing the rules and playing this game, which I have to say at the moment, you know, I'm playing as a player in one and I'm DMing another. And this is probably my favorite game that I'm involved mm. in at the moment. I'm absolutely loving both as a player and as a GM. But just to mark the moment where we are definitely going to do this, hopefully we'll get it up and running this year. If not, it'll be early next. But the Kickstarter for Tales of the Old West is coming. And I just wanted to celebrate that because we've had a long journey getting here. And I, I'm very proud of what we've done. I think it's a very, very good game. I think it deserves to be out there. We just need to make sure we fashion a, 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 a project, um, you know, a Kickstarter program that gets enough uh, love and make sure we don't fall at the first hurdle. So, um, yeah, just wanted to mark that moment. Yeah, that's a very good moment to mark. And um, it's worth... <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot we've got to think about, but oh, one, yeah. one of the first things that we're going to do is try and get a quick start for yeah. free up on Joy Through. So, um, so far, only our, um, uh, shall we say, our stationary and privileged patrons, which are our middle and our top level patrons, have had access to the rules. But they, they will be doing a, a stripped down rules and adventure, um, hopefully quite soon, that you'll be able yeah. to see on on. Um, kickstarter and we'll That's, announce that of obviously when it happens so putting it putting that together in terms of text is my next job and then obviously we'll uh, get that sorted out and put together yeah. laid out and i um, mean the text is 
pretty good already but yes yeah it's it's basically lifting out the stuff we want and putting it in the right format really so it's it shouldn't be a huge job but um yeah cool i mean interestingly um having having kind of had the scales fall from my eyes a little bit about you know going from kickstarter being this thing that's over the horizon that i don't really have a faintest idea about to being something that i can see and visualize uh it's kind of got me go got my juices going in a couple of other projects as well and in particular my um two tribes football my my desire to do mm. an american football role-playing game uh i think i might have made a little breakthrough in that now i need to test it once oh, i've yeah. kind of put the rules together the, the big problem with it was always making the game day something that was going to be fun um make it feel like you're in a game particularly if somebody is a you know a big fan of american football but also um you know, making it fun for somebody who might not be such a big fan of American football and not have it basically consume the entire session. So it play needs by to be play. so it needs to be run quite quickly. And I think mm. I've I've the 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 kind of, kind of the moment the the light bulb moment was turning making that part of the game completely player facing. So the players mm. the players make all the roles in the game. The opposition, the non-player team doesn't make any roles, but they obviously have will have a, a an impact on the role that players are making, and I think that is mm. probably might be the moment, might be the 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 revelation that makes it work. So I've got to play test it. I've only just finishing the rules on it. It might need to be simplified again, as you know, as you would say often. My rules are a bit complicated, um, but yes, yes. Again, I'm feeling quite optimistic about that and actually maybe trying to put that out as a zine next year so oh yeah that could be fun yeah so yeah so that's that's what i'm that's what i'm thinking about but yeah so i just thought i'd no what yeah. you're thinking about dave is tales of the old west that's all you're thinking about you eat sleep dream well, tales of the old west that's well basically all you're allowed to do so during the day when my brain is working i'm thinking about tales of the old west of an evening, when I'm, my brain is too tired to really think clearly, I've been working on two tribes. So, uh, right. so don't worry, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not screwing up Tales of the Old West. That is my number one priority. Okay. But, um, Except for paid work, yeah. if you know, when you're doing paid work, you're allowed to do that instead of Tales of the Old yeah. West. Yeah. Um, and the other cool. thing is, people should be listening to our Tales of the Old West uh, on our um, on our AP stream. We yes, revive that. And you've been, you've been a demon lately, haven't you? In getting those out, that's been. Um... I've been an editing demon. I did another episode yesterday, oh, so wow. I'm up to yeah. mid March now, and so we've got cool. weekly episodes now until mid March. Um, and I will say that the, the reason why I've been doing that is because I enjoyed our last session so much. <laughs> it inspired me. Excellent. So uh, yeah, I think it's my favourite game too. Um, yeah, watch this space, boys yeah. and girls. Watch this space. Yeah. Exciting. exciting. Um, where are we? Final bit of news then, apart from that. Now, yes. you see, we can't put a link to that in the show notes, except, I guess, to our Patreon. We may do that um, if you if you want to get a preview. Um, but uh, we can put a link to the next item, which is a Kickstarter for the Gaia Complex by yep. Chris Shepperson. And Indeed. you know Chris Shepperson, don't you? So tell, me, do. tell me what you... Well... Without without spoiling our next item, which is the interview with Chris Shepperson, <laughs> what do you want to tell me about uh, the Gaia Complex and 
and the Hyperborean Age. Hyperborean Age. Uh, oh, well, uh, like you say, probably not much because we're going to talk about it in the interview with Shep. But um, I, I met Shep working for Modifius. He used to be a project line manager for Modifius and a writer uh, and designer. And he worked on Cohort Cthulhu. And uh, mm. I did a couple of scenarios for Cohort Cthulhu, which will be coming out, I don't know, is it later this year they're going to get published? Um, which I really loved. It was great fun. I really enjoyed it. And um, Shep was impressed. So we got chatting mm-hmm. at UK Games Expo. Um, this is before he he moved on from Modifius because he has his own publishing company called Handsaw Publishing. And it's through that that he's done his own game, The Gaia Complex. And this is a... Um, it's a cyberpunk setting uh, set in the near future um, where kind of the Gaia complex, Gaia is the AI that runs everything. Uh, it's benevolent, or is it? Um, there's a robot police force. There are there are vampires, a bit like True Blood in that sense, who are, and there's an explanation for where they come from. And then you have a, a group of people called ferals who can link with animals who are, uh, a bit like down and outs, um, who live very, very close to nature and are mm. uh, are in there. And you play mercenaries, effectively. So I, I, I got the chance to do a little bit of work on the Gaia Complex. So instead of producing full campaigns or, or full scenarios, what Shep does is create what he calls uh, data seeds. And these are one-page scenario ideas with some information and some detail to inspire the GMs to then take them and run with them and take them in whatever direction they want. So I got to write a few of those, which is great. And um, one of those will be in the current source book that uh, Shep is um, uh, is kickstarting, which is called Evolution by Design. And the source book, this source book takes a closer look at those three areas that we just talked about, the, the, the robotic police force, the vampires and the ferals as three sort of archetypes in the game. Um, Brilliant. But yeah, Should we so, listen to the interview? Yeah, let's do that. So here we are in the Hammam this week uh, with a with a guest we haven't had on before, and it's a it's a delight for me to welcome uh, Shep Chris Shepperson. Uh, we've worked together a bit on some stuff in the past, and you. Uh, have your own little publishing company, Handsaw Publications. I think that's right. Um, but yeah, Shep, we've got you on today to talk about uh, the guy complex and maybe a little bit of Conan, if we can tease that out of you. But welcome to the show. Great to have you have you with us. Yeah, thanks very much. Thank you for in- inviting me on. It's uh, it's very much appreciated. No, great, great. Well, um, as a long-time listener of the show, Shep, you'll know that the first thing that we ask all new uh, or guests in the Hammam uh, to do is to give us a little potted history of uh, of their life in gaming. What what got you into gaming in the first place, and uh, uh, and, and yeah, a little bit about yourself. I um, I grew up in Nottingham, and uh, in the sort of eighties and nineties in Nottingham, you you either were into guns or Warhammer, and <laughs> um, <laughs> Warhammer was the way I went. I um I started oh, the, more, playing... the more violent the more violent route the more violent <laughs> certainly the more expensive option I um I I went down that road um I don't know like as an early teenager there's a few people at, at, at my school that were into it and a, a friend's 
older brother had been into it, you know, for uh, some years beforehand and just sort of enticed us all in. And for, for many years, that was my my uh, take on, on, on gaming beyond family board games. And then um, I stumbled into to role-playing um, originally through uh, Slay Industries um, in the early 90s and then Cyberpunk 2020 and then the World of Darkness, first wave of World of Darkness products that were out at that point in time. Um, there was a, a, a club in my hometown um, and um, we started going there. Um, the, like the, it was part of the RPGA, the Role Play Game Association, at that point in time, and uh, and that was a weekly thing on a Sunday, and that kind of cool. just snowballed from there, really, and moved into to board gaming, and then eventually, some years later, I ended up working for Games Workshop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was probably twenty one, twenty two years old, and then I've I've never really left it alone. I had periods of time where I wasn't, you know, it was a long period of time between sort of my early twenties and my early thirties where I didn't work in the industry. Um, but I, you know, I never left the hobby alone basically. So I've pretty much been a lifetime gamer since, uh, since I was about 10, 11 years old. Cool. That's brilliant. And, um, so obviously growing up within the sphere of influence of games workshop, I'm interested to hear that your first actual RPG experience was slay industries and not, uh, Woofrup or, uh, one of the Warhammer themed role playing games. Do you know why you steered that way? I actually didn't even discover that there were a, was a Warhammer themed role play game for for years afterwards. Um, <laughs> GW at the time did a pretty terrible job of advertising that, and because I didn't come, like I, I kind of fell into role playing a little bit late. Um, mm. I I just kind of turned the way I got into it was a, a friend of mine. I discovered it and uh, and I went to this this club and I just kind of got involved with what was being played. And the day one when I turned up there, there was three tables going off. I think there was Vampire the Masquerade, um, Deadlands and uh, and Slay Industries going. And Slay Industries was the one with the seat at the table. So <laughs> I, I sat down and that was my introduction to it. And I, you know, I was pretty obsessed with that, um, with that game for years. That was like my summer just playing slay like constantly and um you know it was a huge honor years later um to be involved in in writing slay industries and working on the last book in the first edition range and then and then like launching second edition with the nightfall crew um that's kind of it was a bit of a dream come true when i was a kid you know to be involved in 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 the the games in in some kind of way so Mm. um but yeah I, i um weirdly by the time i discovered um like Warhammer role play, I wasn't really. I'd already discovered other things. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I mean, you know, I still, I still dabble with a bit of forty k today, but um, but I'd I'd already discovered great fantasy settings and great sci fi settings in the role playing world, mm. and I didn't really need to take my wargaming love there with me. Like they were two separate things. So um, I've played a little bit, but I, I've never been super passionate about the, the Warhammer franchise uh, role play offerings, you know, compared to compared to other stuff that's out there. So you, you were working in the games industry, though, from quite early on in your career, not like Dave here, who's come into it as a kind of retirement project, really, Dave, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, There's only about a year between me and Dave. I just look young. <laughs> <laughs> I just look very old. 
Yeah. <laughs> it can't be a year. Surely. I told you to yeah, use the touch up option on the camera. Now, yeah, so so and you mentioned you've worked for Games Workshop, uh, or at least one of the Games Workshop subsidiaries. I know they're all in different different states and things like that and you've worked for um nightfall uh, what other companies uh Modifius, i believe Modifius, Dave's yeah yeah so i am um, so yeah i worked for games workshop in my early 20s i worked for forge world based out of their head office um at the time that was a bit of a dream come true because they were whereas games workshop had a head office in every country um Forge World was one small department. So when there was Games Day US and Games Day Canada and Games Day Australia, we got to go to all of them. Cool. So mm. that was, you know, like a really mm. awesome period of time. And it was when Lord of the Rings was new and fresh and exciting. And so, you know, we were just being sent around the world. And eventually when the movies finished, they were like, no, you're in telesales now, you know, stay in the <laughs> office. <laughs> um, but I was there during those kind of golden years. And that was really amazing nice. to kind of get to go over and meet the staff from all the various countries and, you know, just sell high quality resin to everybody around the world. <laughs> um, brilliant. And if it was um, Lord of the Rings, was that working with the Perry Twins? I remember they were kind of recruited back into... To do yeah, so I, yeah, they were pretty heavily involved in that project. I Forge World was a separate studio, so we didn't mm. really, you know, like you had the Perry Twins and Ali Morrison and uh, Jez Goodwin and that's that crew over in the main uh studio, and then we had um, like there was a whole other pool of sculptors uh that worked on the Forge World stuff because they were doing the, the, the big giant resin dragons mm. and the ginormous right. mammoths and the, mm. really, the stuff you couldn't buy in the shops you had to buy direct. Mm. So we were like a niche product within the niche industry. And, and it was really great. And I and I eventually after the traveling changed and it became a bit like a, they, they tightened the purse strings quite heavily. I basically left Games Workshop <laughs> just because of the I was young and the promise of more money was elsewhere. Um, and mm. I went off and worked, and I worked for game selling PlayStations and Xboxes. I was a store manager oh, right. for them. For oh, okay. Years. I right. kind of segued into that industry just because I knew people that worked there, and they offered me more money. And I, I had a lot of regret for doing that, actually, because, I mean, you know, dealing with the public in a retail store compared to being a games workshop head office does not compare. <laughs> but the money was nice, right? So, yeah. Um, I, so I stared away and I, I I ended up going down management and then eventually project management, business development for a couple of companies for, for many years. And then in my early 30s, um, I started kind of dabbling with my own games designs again and I ran a Kickstarter and I put stuff out there. And through going to shows, UK Games Expo, I ended up networking and I eventually... Um, through a chance meeting at Essen, I met uh, Mark Rapson, who is the guy behind uh, Wordforge Games and is now a director of, of Nightfall. And mm. uh, we got on really well, and I did some freelance work for him for, for Wordforge Games development on a few products he was working on. And um, and we and we played games together. We role-played together. We, we talked cool. a lot about it. And then he ended up in a situation where he had, an option to get involved with nightfall games as a shareholder mm. and um he has a lot of business experience and he, the plan was to help them like you know bring slay industries up to a second edition and, and, and bring it back into the limelight a little bit um and he basically said to me you know would you come along for the ride with me would you you know you know the ip i know cool. the business 
can we come together as an offering to help Nightfall grow? So oh, that was yeah. how I got involved in role play, basically. And they were amidst trying to finish off the Cannibal Sector 1 book at the end of first edition. And basically, my offering to the company was I would come in and help them finish the writing of that book. Um, and and I did that. And it was a real joy for, for a long time. And then through working on that, working on Slay Industries, I got offered a lot more freelance work. Um, the first wave of which was on uh, Infinity from Modiphius. And then shortly yeah. after that, Modiphius were like, why don't you come and work for us? Because you're a writer and you've got project management experience. And then it kind of snowballed. And I and I looked after a number of lines for a few years for Modiphius. Um, I, I project managed the, the end of the Conan line before they mm-hmm. lost that license. Um, Act on Cthulhu, uh, Dune. Um, so I looked after quite a lot of, of IPs for those guys. And then also uh, I basically met Dave through um, being the project manager on Cohors Cthulhu, which mm. was the, one of their most recent acquisitions. And um, they'd greenlit Dave to write a, uh, an adventure or two for it. Yeah. And um, and I stuck with Modiphius for quite a while. I actually had a, a small brief flirt with Steamforge Games. I went there as a senior games developer, but um, okay. for one reason or another, I after a few months, I ended up being persuaded back to Modiphius. We'll call it a distraction for a couple of months rather than anything else. And, a sabbatical. Um, a sabbatical. Yeah, and then, um, you know, at the about six, seven, eight months ago, um, uh, I had a lot of interest from various people to work on various things, and I, and I decided to step away from Modiphius and, and go freelance, put a bit more effort into my own stuff. Uh, and I've worked with a couple of publishers since, and, and also most recently, as, as you mentioned at the start, um, I, <coughs> largely due to my previous uh, experience with Conan as an IP uh, on, um, at Modiphius, I'm, uh, I've now taken up the mantle of, of project manager with Monolith to bring mm. the, the new Conan, the Hyborian Age uh, RPG to market over the course of the next year as well. So well, that's, that's my brilliant. foray into the various <laughs> uh, publishers of the world thus far. <laughs> but you also <clears throat> self-publish, um, as as Dave said. You have a little publishing company, to quote Dave's rather patronising term. No, no, it's, <laughs> that's a fair summary. It's a fair summary. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be patronising, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Dave, you'd, you do it so easily. Um, <laughs> So uh, tell us, tell us about your uh, the Gaia complex. I have to admit, my extensive research has been. I downloaded the Quick Start about an hour ago. Um, Bro, Dave actually has a, a full version of the game. I think, but I do. Neither us have he much does. time in our some, schedules. Some, some salesman so, at UK um, Games Expo last year managed to you know just just to swing the swing a sale when I wasn't going to buy anything. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah, so yeah, I mean. I, Hansa Publishing is basically a, a, a name for me to put my passion projects out under. They're pretty small fry. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I spend a lot of my time working with or for other publishers working on their games. And this just allows me the chance to drop a few of my creative pursuits in a way where I'm writing them on my terms in the way I want them. I'm not writing them for a particular audience or to try and grow a particular IP. And because I'm doing it that way, I can afford to, you know, do a tiny print run of books and, you know, just sell a couple of hundred books and um, and be happy and content with that. So it's mm-hmm. a really nice thing to do on the side, um, you know, and, and the Gaia Complex, I guess, is my leading line. I published the core book for it in 2021. 
and then I did a, a, a first source book for it a year later, and now we're on Kickstarter with a second source book. Um, right, and yeah, so Kickstarter been, is live now, right? It is correct. Yeah, Evolution by Design is the second source book um, for the Gaia Complex, and it's on Kickstarter as we speak. Um, it's funded. We'll put a link in the show notes. How long have you got goals. to run? Uh, we're only on day four at the moment, day five, so oh, we've cool. got another three three at, weeks left at, at of the, the point campaign. this goes out you'll have another 10 days i think so um at the sure. point this is being right. listened to is at least a week if not a bit longer left to run <laughs> brilliant um Excellent. but yeah, so, yeah um, i mean tell us a little bit about guy complex then shep and i was interested to hear that in your list of games that you kind of like got hooked into cyberpunk 2020 was was in there which is a big one for me back in the day as well yeah absolutely i mean i've I, i've been a fan of the cyberpunk genre since i discovered the cyberpunk genre mm-hmm. you know like the first time i saw a piece of artwork of somebody with a cyber arm i was hooked you know <laughs> and um 2020 was a very accessible game when i was a teenager it was in all the the game stores over here in the uk in nottingham um it was the one that had the most source books out for it you know there's yeah. I, I actually i own a full collection of cyberpunk 2020 books including the ones that they third-party licensed out to Atlas Games and Ionis Games, and like 76 books they made for Cyberpunk 76. 2020. Oh. I thought I had oh. a lot. I've got, about, I've got about eight, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, some some of them are tiny. They're, yeah. like, 30-page softback. They're really like, small. Yeah. But there's, there's 76 books in the range, and, you know, like, I think all of them were available in my local stores. And then that was, like, 80% of the role-play game shelves. So it was hard to avoid it. Um and uh, yeah, we loved it. I played it a lot. And, and you know, the guy complex is is very different, but it is unmistakably cyberpunk. And it would be a complete lie to say that I hadn't been influenced by playing those games as a teenager. Mm. You know, Cyberpunk twenty twenty drew me into movies like Blade Runner, and um, you know, those things are have left an imprint on me. And the guy complex was my chance to sort of flesh out a world um and do it my way so you know if i had to summarize it it's uh it's cyberpunk with vampires in a dystopian europe so think blade runner meets blade but Mm -hmm. in france and germany um and um it's very very dark it's written with an adult reader in mind you know in terms of the language or the tone of things it's very oppressive um it's based around a walled in metropolis which covers most of what we currently know as france and germany and everything in between and uh, it's ruled over by um a, an appointed ai which is supposedly has the citizens interests at heart mm-hmm. but as the books have progressed um the background story and the meta plot underneath um the the reasons that this ex- this ai um exists has uh taken a, a dark turn so mm-hmm. it is a game with a with a quite an intricate meta plot but unlike a lot of games um we're quite upfront about it so there's a big chapter at the end of the core book that says you know this is why vampires exist like this mm. is supposed to be earth why do these why are these vampires here why has this happened and this is what's happening and this is information that you don't need to know to play the game the world is immersive and great without it but if you want to go on a real roller coaster ride of a story mm-hmm. here is the fiction and that background plot that supports it and i kind of um i've kind of tackled the game a bit like a 
um, imagining it was a bit like a Netflix show with lots of mm -hmm. episodic fiction and lots of different characters' lives that intertwine. I found that the best way to world build is to tell the world through a character's eyes rather than mm -hmm. just kind of giving you a straight third person lore. So we do a lot of short character fictions that intertwine this story and connect this meta plot and flesh out the world. And um, though it has a small following in the world of RPGs, that following seems very passionate about it. You know, I, mm -hmm. I um, we get a lot of positive praise, put a lot of time and effort into the art direction of the book. And I work with uh, predominantly with one artist, Jesus Blones in the US, who's a, a very sought after tattoo artist and an, an incredible illustrator. And he he spends a lot of time he's pretty much a partner in this project you know he mm -hmm. takes what i write and he tries to flesh that word out uh, world out and it's been amazing to be able to do that as a passion project and have people want to put that on the table and, and play it yeah i mean it's interesting because because i as I said I, mean, I was a huge fan of 2020 played loads of it i, I ran loads of it i didn't play it very often because i was always the gm but <clears throat> yeah when um cyberpunk red came out i um, i got the the starter box and it just didn't really get me it didn't really you know get my my cyberpunk juices flowing but having got guy complex and had a read of that that did you know get my cyberpunk flu juices flowing so i i haven't managed to get it to the town now it's a really bad kind of like yeah <laughs> isn't it? i'm seeing um, a pipe somewhere <laughs> <laughs> going out of one part of your body and into another part of your body and i don't want to know which part of the body that is gets my chrome something or other going anyway um the point i'm making is that cyberpunk red didn't do that but when i was looking at guy guy complex it did and although i haven't got it to the table yet um yeah i was impressed by by drawing me in because I, I thought my kind of excitement about cyberpunk as a gaming kind of uh setting had had probably gone and it was you know left in the past with 2020 but um so no it's it's a very very good very good game mm -hmm. and uh uh yeah tell That's us a, a little a bit huge... about the system ship um i noticed because sure. i i haven't been drawn in in the same way that dave has because i've only had an hour to look at it but i noticed that we've got <laughs> um a couple of d12s and mm. some d3s or d6s halved whatever um yeah. So how do I succeed? How do I win? That's what I care about in a role playing sure. game. How do I win? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the the system is the system is is pretty streamlined. It's a it's very much um there are rules to support people that want to roll a lot of dice, but the 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 rules chapter up front says, you know, we would rather you never rolled a die and you just put in the narrative first. But we appreciate that doesn't work for a lot of a lot of uh, groups, and so here are the rules for everything. You know, anything you could want, and there's also a number of pieces of of work in that um, chapter that are clearly marked as optional rules. <clears throat> so for people that want some some grit in their games, we've got things like bleeding and hit locations, and um, you know, being knocked prone, being unconscious, and these are things that you can play the game without. And so we've we've pulled them to a separate section. You know, if you if you if you if you really want as much chunk as possible in your game here's those extra bits so the core system is uses d12 two d12s it's a roll under system uh you're in a situation everybody has stats that range from one to ten uh you you can push them to 11 and 12 through the use of cybernetics but typically speaking they range from one to ten 
the game's master sets a difficulty for what's happening. And if your uh, statistic in a, in a given area is uh, equal to or higher than the difficulty that's been assigned, you've passed the test. And if it's lower than, you roll for a test. And when you roll a test, you're 2d12 and you're looking to roll less than your stat. And 11 is always a fail. 12 is always a critical fail. So the reason we roll two dice is the game uh, uses skills, but it doesn't assign ranks to skills. So you're either skilled or unskilled in an area. If you are skilled, you only need one success out of your two dice. And if you're unskilled, you need two successes out of your two dice. And I, I like that. I like that because a lot of games struggle with making a demarcation between somebody who's got the skill and somebody who hasn't. So, you know, for example, you know, year zero engine games, usually, not always, but usually you just roll your stat without a skill bonus, you know, without skill dice. And so that means that you're almost as good potentially or even better if your stat is really high than somebody who's got the skill. Whereas in this one, I like I like very much the fact that both dice have got to succeed if you're unskilled trying trying a task. I like that. Yeah, and, and one step further, there's a small bracket of skills that are tagged as advanced skills, and they break the mould of what I've just explained by basically saying, um, if you do not have the skill, you fail. You can't do it. And they are <clears throat> things like performing surgery, flying <laughs> an aircraft. Yeah. yeah? So yeah. you've got no training, you aren't going to fudge it. Like, it's just not going to happen in the context of I, the I beg to differ. I, yeah. I, I flew planes all the time as a kid without having any training at all. What I what I couldn't do was land them. A, a minor setback. Yeah, the D3s fall into that system, mm. which I know are, are quite an uncommon uh, one. And I actually, in the first campaign, I actually sold D3s rather than people using D6s. I've got these great little ones that look mm. like kidney beans. Um, they're brilliant little things. But... Um, <laughs> Basically, we use D3s for uh, for damage. Um, it allows for a much tighter consistency and much less swingy nature mm. of D6 dice rolling. So everything is either 1, 2, or 3 D3 with a modifier of plus 1, plus 2, or plus 3. So that gives you 1 D3, 1 D3 plus 1, 1 D3 plus 2, 1 D3 plus 3. 2d3 etc 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 and it allows for very tight control over the range of damage of weapons so that you don't have the whole i got hit with a shotgun and i took one damage i got slapped by somebody and took eight damage yeah. and it allows me to to just kind of maintain uh, a level of of balance between what a pistol does what a shotgun does what an assault rifle does what a heavy weapon does in the in the game flow and um it's as much as people are like d3s are a bit weird it's been very well received because mm. combat in this game is quite deadly. Um, that was going to be my next but, question. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite, it is quite realistic. If you get shot, you might die. Um, but what we are able to do is gauge how likely you are to die from the various types of wound you might receive because the damage is controllable, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And I guess what you, what you could do uh, is just do a, a dice line of d6s with just one to three twice if people yeah, don't want to people don't want to roll kidney beans all evening yeah so uh, absolutely yeah and those those are actually readily available from places like die shop online yeah, and stuff yeah, they do sure. a good range of them so um you know i don't need to sell them to you just <laughs> you can find them you can find them yeah. um so what you the are profit margin isn't moment. high enough obviously then for the dice <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, you're selling the core book, obviously. You, uh, a supplement hardware 2119. We've got a free yep. kickstart. You've got five data seeds or books of data seeds. These are the campaign. This is what's developing. Is it the yeah? So the so data seeds are um, so the, each of our books contain some data seeds, and we do some online releases uh, every couple of months. It's a one dollar download from Drive Through RPG, and it comes with like three new data seeds, mm-hmm. and they're basically um, they're, they're the way that we write adventures. So a data seed is exactly one page of text. And, and Dave's written a couple of very nice data seeds for me. You can pick up his adventures. The idea behind a data seed is it gives you a summary. It gives you three key scenes and it gives you an aftermath of the adventure. And they're designed in a way that they, they inspire a GM to create a game. There's mm-hmm. enough information there where they could make a data seed last an hour or they could make it last two game sessions, depending on the GM's personal taste. And you could simply just take a pile of data seeds and stitch them together as jobs that the mercs have been hired for. And there's a ready-made campaign, or you can take one and you could flesh that whole idea out into a big campaign of your own. So we don't do long form, pre-written, well-planned out campaigns. We give you a seed, some scenes, an idea, and we let you run with it. Um, But how did that meta story you talked about come across then if in a, in this less me- structured campaign. The meta story of the game does not touch the players. It mm. is very much a piece of fiction that props up and supports the world and explains why some of the less normal aspects of the world exist. For people that want to dive into the lore or read the fiction, in terms of gameplay, this is dystopian cyberpunk in New Europe where the players are not only criminal mercs who are putting it to the man, but they are also at the bottom of the food chain because they have to avoid being feasted on by a vampiric threat and avoid being shot by a mechanized police force. That, that really is the setting that players need to embrace. Whether I merge the meta plot into the forefront of gaming in a future release is something that I have flirted with a few times in my book planning, but right now mm. it doesn't right. it doesn't need to touch the players' lives. Mm. Gotcha. And briefly then, what's the current Kickstarter supplement going to be? So Evolution by Design is a uh, chance for me to flesh out the three non-human aspects of the world. So people know about these three things. They're in the core book and uh, sort of a, a expanded on slightly in hardware 2119. But this is a real deep dive into into the vampire criminal underworlds, into AI and rivals to Gaia, as well as advancements in the police force. And then also into ferals, who are a species of people who are able to interface with animals, uh, rats and cats and dogs and that kind of thing. And while we've had seeds planted for them and there's a little bit of information, this is the chance to really bring their background and their cultures right into the forefront. Uh, and to go with that, we've got a few new rules additions, the biggest of which um, and the most the, the most well-received from playtesting is the ability to track um, a, a team's heat with the police. Mm. So it's a new tool for GMs to be able to raise a police threat and have impacts of how interactions with the black market might go sour because other people are aware that people are on a watch list and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So lots of new tools for GMs to kind of uh, mix up games as well. Nice. Cool. And we have um, 
15 seconds to talk about Conan now, but we may <laughs> extend that time. We can run over slightly, I think, can't we? I can, I can give you 35, yeah, we're all right. <laughs> right, so yeah, we're very excited by Conan. Our patrons are very excited by Conan. Uh, one of them said I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna go into this at all, but as soon as Dave mentioned that he'd been doing a bit of work for Conan, he said, "Oh, oh, tell me more." So Shep, <laughs> this is the only reason you're here, really. Tell us more <laughs> about this new Conan game. It's not the only reason. The main reason is for you to say how great I am as a freelancer and get me more work. Yeah, elsewhere. no, 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 no. I got to cut those bits out, Dave. You know. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, you know, Conan, uh, the license for the RPG moved to Monolith. Uh, Monolith obviously already very successfully make the, uh, the, the, the miniatures board game. Yeah. Um, that's a hugely popular skirmish tabletop uh, board game. Uh, they just had their most recent Kickstarter finish this month for the Red Nails expansion. And the plan is uh, towards the end of this year, we'll be kickstarting the new Conan the Hyborian Age RPG um it's a more streamlined more cinematic approach to um to conan as a as a tabletop role play uh, when you compare it to the you know the, the monolith and the modifius versions that came before it um again it's very much focused on the law and history of, of of howard's books but um it has um fast play and um like a kind of just a really smooth play experience based around it you know like there's there's all the crunch has been taken out so you can just get straight into the action and straight into the character development um and as part of that initial offering we are pushing out a core book and a nice book full of um great adventures um and when i got involved and i was told to assemble a team to to you know to put this together the the rules development was already well underway but aside from that you know it was it was me to reach out to people i knew um i wanted to grab out some of the, the best adventure writers that i'd work with and, and dave was and dave, um yes was uh, at the bottom of that list no i know uh, dave, dave was dave was on that list because you know the the, the content that dave created for cohorts cthulhu was fantastic working mm -hmm. with him was a joy delivered on time why wouldn't I reach out to Dave again? And, you know, so far, I still got one to deliver to me, but everything so far has been stellar. And cool. um, I think people are going to, I think people are going to really love what yourself and the rest of the writers have, have cooked up. And we've got a real A team on this. You know, we've got the likes of Richard August, uh, Jason Doral, uh, Jason Brick, uh, Mary Takuda. Um, I've even got uh, John Houlihan coming in to work on some GM screen content for us. So, cool. well, we've we've got a real A team of industry writers and a couple of people that you would probably consider to be Conan scholars uh, mm -hmm. involved in creating content for um, for this game, and we are, you know, are well on track um, as well. So, uh, what I can tell people is, you can expect to see a quick start for this game i would think within the next two three months at the most mm, um, yeah so drop us a line when it comes verge. out and we'll obviously promote it um absolutely yeah so we're on the verge of that quick start um and our you know our work on the core products is is uh going really really well um art direction is largely complete and we're just waiting on you know the, the final wave of artwork to come in so we're in a really good place with it um we're really excited with the mm -hmm. um, 
the way it's been received through, through playtesting groups. And um, so, yeah, you w- it won't be long before the quick start is in your hands and you've got an ability to take that um, sort of uh, rule system for a test drive and check out a couple of the adventures and the way that we're going we're gonna to do things with, with this new wave of Conan. Oh, that's cool. it's really exciting. To I, mean, I have to say, I have to say, I've I've really enjoyed doing these Conan stories. It's been a real pleasure, um, and I'm you know I'm not a great Conan scholar. I know a bit, but I don't know loads. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it's just been great fun going back into that kind of world. And uh, actually, I mean, I I, I kind of have, I'm not sure whether to say this, but I find it quite easy to write compared to some other stuff, some other lines that I've worked on. Um, and it flows. Cut his word rate, quick. <laughs> <laughs> no, increase my word rate, quick. Ne- um, next one's half price. <laughs> Double price was that. Cheers, Jeff. Um, but yeah, it's just been a, it's been a real pleasure. And obviously, uh, you know, I've got a, an idea of the system. So the system is smooth and quick. And um, it fe- I haven't played it, but it feels like it should deliver a really, really cool experience at the table okay i'm going to ask one challenge on the system and i can challenge you with this ship knowing that you have nothing to do with the system um so feel free to not answer if you don't want to my problem with the modifia system was the meta currency the um god what they call momentum Momentum, momentum, thank you. Threat which, and threat, yeah. Which I, I think is fine in something like Star Trek, which is all about teamwork and helping each other out. It felt always, and, and I know patrons will be screaming at me as they listen to this now, that it really works for Conan too, but I don't believe them. Conan for me is always, <laughs> you know, he's more likely to slit the throat of his teammates than he is to uh, pass them a piece of momentum. I mean metaphorically speaking um so so that always bugs me does, does does this let conan stand alone or or your muscle-bound hero stand alone uh if, if that's the uh frank Frazetta that you want to imagine yeah i mean absolutely i mean obviously the the systems are like really polar opposites when you look at the modifius one to what we've, we've cooked up here and i'm sure dave can attest to that i mean yeah conan's 2d20 system uh for Modifius was a really early rendition of the co- of the 2d20 system as well it was mm. it was probably arguably the crunchiest version you know if you look at it compared to the the dune 2d20 version or something now like it's a it's a it's a very different animal um but we uh i mean yeah i mean the all the stuff you've just kind of commented on there there's nothing like that we don't we don't really do meta currencies or mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of things are very narrative based that, you know, I can, I can tell you bits and pieces. Like we don't, if it doesn't need tracking, we don't track it. So mm-hmm. there's no need to track wealth weapons and yeah. items and things like that. Don't have an, a, a monetary attachment to them. A, a, an adventure will, will not give you like a hundred gold pieces. It will say, you find enough money to afford a night's stay, some food, and a good piece of armor or something. Like it's all that narrative like. based. That's like that binge at Mrs. Miggins' pie shop. Yeah, you know, like you, between the group, you've earned enough gold to buy a horse, you know, or, yeah. you know, you That's can true. equate that yeah. into whatever you like. So we don't, Brilliant. Um, you know, other than your yeah. stats and, um, 
experience and life points there's only one pool of points that you ever think about that stamina and that is basically a, a pool of points you can spend to adjust dice rolls or trigger kind of cinematic feats and you accrue them through the course of a game and at the end of every tale it resets to a default value so you're there like spend them or lose them yeah or you know done. you can save them up for the big boss, smash him really hard and then get rid of them. They're gone. Mm. Um, there's, there's none of this kind of trade off with the GM and, um, you know, you, you are aside from extending your stats, the whole way the, the game builds is the characters, uh, spend their experience on, um, what we call gains. And they're basically like, you could call them a skill or an ability and it could be anything from increasing a stat value to giving you a, an ability that you can trigger by spending a stamina point or, mm. and there's a, a list of sort of like, you know, we 20 or 30 different of these abilities that you can purchase for your character. And it's a way of using a concept of skills without it just being like, I'm skilled with a sword. I'm skilled at yeah. lockpicking. Yeah. You're like, we're going to give you an actual little rule, a cool thing you can do in a game now. Now you've learned this new trick. Yeah. And so that's the kind of way we go. It's like really nice and simple and catchy. And you've got these cool little um, flourishes that you can add to your character as you go along. Um, um, one thing I think also that sets it apart that I think a lot of people like is that we we avoid the classic archetypes and you build a character based on a background. So you're from the north or you're from the hills or you're from a civilized city or you're from the blood of a demon. You know, mm -hmm. you have a background, but within that background, you, you can be you anything. Can make it up. Yeah. yeah. You can make it up, you know. And so, you know, and just because a background maybe has access to a degree of sorcery doesn't mean you're a sorcerer. You know, yeah. you could be from the blood of Acheron, but you could just be a zealous courtist and a, you know, knife throwing maniac. You don't have <laughs> to be a sorcerer because the bloodline suggests you could be. And yeah. so there is a, there's a huge amount of uh, flexibility in making a character. You pick the background of the the region where you kind of originate from, from a flavor perspective, and then you can be who you want to be. And um, that's been really well received so far. And we're, we're really excited for people to start like drumming up characters of, you know, all different kind of origins. That sounds brilliant. Mm. Sounds brilliant. We can't wait for the quick start. Mm -hmm. We'll have what to invite like? Shep back what to run a game for us at some point then. Hey? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We can do that. We can That'd be that. cool. That'd be very cool. Well, it's been a real pleasure to meet you, Shep. I, I don't know Dave knows you already, but it, <clears throat> you, you are, you've impressed me more than anything that Dave said about you. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say you've impressed me more than Dave and then just stop there. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a very Well, he would say that that's a low bar, though, he would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a compliment to you if he says you've, you've impressed him more than me. Yeah. Oh, well, no, thank you very much for inviting me on and give me an opportunity to plug my Kickstarter and um, tell you a little bit about Conan. And yeah, you know, I'll keep you in the loop of, uh, with developments. Um, but yeah, no, thank you. It's been a it's been a real privilege. I really appreciate you inviting me on. Yeah, great to Brilliant. have you. Brilliant, thank you. Yeah. And I, well, you know me. I'm 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 not as a big a fan of cyberpunk as you are, and I thought I had found in Cyborg 
uh, my perfect cyberpunk game, but I'm yeah. kind of intrigued by Gaia Complex, and maybe I will um, invest in this Kickstarter to yeah. some degree, at least. Um, yeah, I've I've backed yeah. it. I've I bought the um, the core book and the first supplement, which is like a hardware cyberpunk uh, cyber and gear expansion. Um, oh, you bought that at UK Games Expo. I, did. I remember that. I did. Um, yeah, I'm, I got that. Yeah, last year. Uh, so I, I, I've backed this. <clears throat> um, I'm not on the verge of running a game of this, but it's on my list of things to run. So, mm. um, which which there's a lot of great games out there which aren't on that list, um, just because you know there's too many other things that come ahead of them. So uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting. I'm, I say I'm playing a a cyberpunk um, red campaign at the moment, which is fine. I'm enjoying it. It's good fun. Um, but you are uh, finding Cyberpunk Red wanting, aren't you? In terms of the system, yes, I am. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I'm now beyond the stage where um, I like. You know, I, I don't like a game where you stand there with an assault rifle and you gun somebody down, and you, and you <laughs> really because and, that's what you do. No, in no, most no. Of the let games me let I me finish. Can. Let me finish. <laughs> and and you and basically when you fire twenty shots into them, you do fifteen points of damage, and they've got like fifty hit points. So I, I, oh, right. yes. I don't like that kind of grind, hit point grind in my games. Because, you know, if I shoot a guy with an assault rifle, you know, from 10 feet away, he's probably going to fall over. Full auto. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and it's yeah. just like, I do that. I get a really good hit, but I do, oh, I've done 12 damage. Oh, yeah. Okay. He turns around and shoots you back. So it, mm. it, it, it's, it's a system that is still mired in, in those older uh, kind of yeah. approaches, which... I'm beyond that now. I, I I like a game to feel a bit more realistic. Um, yeah. So, but say I'm enjoying like the campaign. You get shot in the head, and, and then and you that's don't that. die because it's your birthday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sorry, exactly. I'm just gonna bring that up until you're 75. No, that's that's fair enough. And Every I totally, birthday. I totally. I, I've said myself more than once <laughs> that that character should <laughs> that character should have died. Then that would have been better. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Although I love the character and I've really loved playing it, and I did pout quite a lot at that moment. Um, <laughs> that was quite pouty. But in <laughs> yeah, moving on. But in but in hindsight, in hindsight, he he should have died. But Celebi, yeah, we le- we live and learn. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Okay. So yeah, you've got me interested in Shep's cool. game. Um, Excellent. I'll Good. have a look at that Kickstarter, and we will of course put a link in the show notes. There are so many links in uh, this episode's show notes, mate. Yeah, and I think at the, um, at, at the point of um, broadcast, there's... Oh, I, I had it up, but I've just taken it down now. There's uh, about at least 10 days left, I think, um, uh, of the Kickstarter. So if you're interested, get onto Kickstarter and um, and back it. Because it's already... It's going to be funded. He's hit his goal. But there are some... There's a particularly very, very good stretch goal just coming, which might be a data seed written by me. So um, somebody we know, somebody we know. So, so if you're interested, get in there, back it, unlock that stretch goal. You'll see how you know. Uh, see how great my work yeah. is. If you back it now, <laughs> all the money goes to Dave. Well, if only. Um, I'm just bring it up there with me. So it has got 13 days to go uh, as of Sunday, the 18th of February. So you've got to the end of the month, basically. So go and cool. back it. Cool. 
And, um, and of course, um, interesting news about the new version of the Conan role-playing game. Indeed. Uh, we shall look forward to that. And, um, and then um, we've also got some interesting news coming up very, very soon. Indeed. We're moving into next episode now, Dave, if you didn't realise. Yeah, oh, I did So realize. as we record this, it is Sunday... And tomorrow, Monday, we will be interviewing Nils and Costas, Costa from Free League. You know, we've been talking about a lot of other non-Free League games, and we claim to be the premier Year Zero and Free League podcast in the world. And um, But we, we've got a storming interview, I think, uh, tomorrow. So good that y'all, if you like to listen to it, you can listen in two weeks' time. But if you want the urgent news, then we're going to probably put it up on YouTube on Tuesday. Yeah. Following. And why the... are we putting it up on YouTube on Tuesday, Dave? Well, because on Tuesday, Free League are going to make an announcement about Coriolis, where we came from, the origin of this podcast, the origin of all of this, the origin of, you know, me getting into the industry and you doing some published work um it's yeah what's happening next are we getting a new edition oh uh, we don't know we will find out on tuesday um so yeah. yes it's listen exciting. to dave pitching exciting. for a job on a potential new edition <laughs> yeah exactly uh, uh or watch us watch us say so we're, this is such exciting news as i say Although we are going to record it for the next episode and you're welcome to listen to it then, we're also going to not stream it live because we can only stream it uh, tomorrow and everything's embargoed until Tuesday. But yeah. we will put it up as soon as we can on Tuesday for you to find out what it is, what the secret news is about Coriolis. And, um, Indeed. And we'll be finding out tomorrow evening, Dave. Ha 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 ha. Exactly. And we'll tell everyone. We'll tell everyone. <laughs> On Tuesday. Yes. So until uh, next week then, or until Tuesday, if you want to join us on YouTube, uh, we'll do a YouTube premiere. I think I can work out how to make YouTube do that, but it might take me a bit of time. But mm. that will be happening um, in our next episode or on Tuesday. Indeed. So until then, it's goodbye from me. <laughs> and it's goodbye from him. May the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.